0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at BYTE.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with BYTE. The Institute of Art and Ideas, Articles, Videos, and Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, the podcast which brings you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. Many would argue that for at least a century,
1: we have been moving away from the old moral certainties of traditional Christianity.
0: This week on Flossy for Our Times, our speakers debate the new moralism. Yet now new forms of moral certainty are appearing,
1: with much of our culture seemingly gripped by strong standards of virtue and a closely policed sense of right and wrong.
0: Should we welcome this return to virtue and embrace the new moralism? Or are these new certainties merely new forms of prejudice? Is culture morally bankrupt? Or too stringently controlled by the new moralism? Taking this on, we have former political strategist, regular panellist on the moral maze, and chief executive of the Royal Society of Arts, Matthew Taylor. He'll be joined by philosopher and senior lecturer at Royal Holyway, known for her work on practical ethics and the philosophy of swearing, Rebecca Roach. And finally, post-postmodern philosopher, renowned critic of philosophical realism, known for his theory of closure, Hilary Lawson. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Be sure to let us know what you think by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating or review. And check out our website at www.iei.tv. Back now to Danielle Sands, who hosts this week's episode. Now,
1: we will begin with... Pitches from each of our speakers, starting with you, Matthew. Should we welcome a new moralism to purge society of its sins?
2: I I think I approach this issue more as a sociologist, uh, anthropologist, um, rather than a philosopher. Uh, And so uh, my answer to this question is yes, but in the sense that I think we need to think of morality as a system or a part of a system. So you have a social system, and morality is one of the things that throws through that system. And when societies work, the moral system tends to work. And when societies don't work, the moral system is collapsing in various ways. And one way to think about this is that the three great systems that run through society are actually, in all of you, they're your three core motivations. So you're motivated by authority. You're motivated by kind of belonging values, this kind of stuff you think you ought to do, and you're motivated by some idea of autonomy and individual self-interest. And those three things, authority, values, and belonging, and your own individual story, uh, that's what drives you, but also at the level of society as a whole, whether or not the systems of authority, the systems of belonging, and the systems of individual aspiration are aligned, will tell you an awful lot about whether that society is successful. At the moment in our society, they're very badly aligned, and that's why things are quite grim. So uh, if we were to get a better aligned society, it would have a moral dimension. And so, firstly, we need to think about the authority, the moral authority, the morality that comes from authority. So that's the morality of doing what you're told, basically. And obviously, that's weaker than it used to be. Religion was a major source of that. You know, you don't question the Ten Commandments or the Quran, you just do it. Um, And also because state institutions have also weakened. So institutions as a whole are weakened. So that element of morality, that kind of doing what we're told, has become weaker, and I think that's a problem. I think we need to renew authority, renew the legitimacy of authority. I think societies do need to have a morality that is, in some extent, based on doing what you're told on the basis of what has been agreed, particularly by people who are democratically elected. Secondly, the morality of belonging and there's an awful lot of that around. So populist politics is all really around the morality of tribe and belonging. And in some ways that's quite vibrant, but the problem is it's very antagonistic. So the morality of tribe we have now is the morality of my tribe good, your tribe bad. And that's why you see the levels of polarisation in America between Democrats and Republicans. So Democrats and Republicans in America believe they have no moral responsibility towards each other at all. They think the other side is morally reprehensible, and we feel the same way about Brexit. So we need to think about how we get morality in groups to work. And then finally, individually... We have to change our individualist as counter morality. We were seduced by the nonsense of homo economicus and neoliberalism, which was we could have whatever we want and it would be great for society as a whole. Climate change, hopefully, is the shock to our system uh, that teaches us that we have to think much more deeply about how we align our individual morality with what is good for society as a whole. So it's a systemic issue and we need to balance different sources of morality to make it work. So we need mora- moral reawakening, but in that broader systemic sense.
1: Thank you. And straight over to you,
3: Rebecca. Thank Should we
1: welcome a new moralism to purge society of its sins?
3: Thank you. Um, I'm not sure I agree that we have a new moralism. I mean, there's sort of two, well, at least two separate issues sort of mentioned in this, um, the description of this, this debate. One is uh, the idea of a return to virtue, and another is moral certainty. Um, I don't think the idea of virtue has really gone away. So virtue is uh, the idea, so a virtue is a character trait. It's not a sort of right or wrong out there in the world. It's, it's a character trait. If you have the right virtues, then you're going to be disposed to behave morally. I mean, I think that there have always been uh, ideas of what are sort of virtuous and vicious character traits, sort of vicious being the opposite of virtuous, um, we, we might have rethought them in recent years. So, you know, sort of uh, a few decades ago, it might be thought that chastity, at least for sort of women, is, um, is a virtue. Um, I think sort of quite rightly we are sort of questioning things like that. We have other ideas of sort of what what uh, what being virtuous involved. But I think the idea of sort of virtue as a uh, an important... Concept in thinking about moral- morality is still with it. It's still with us, but it's just maybe the sort of thing that we kind of only notice when it changes. You know, when we start to re-question what makes for a, a good or a bad person, and there are sort of perhaps people disagreeing about that that bring us to light. Um, the idea of moral certainty, I think, that uh, this is so. This is an issue that is potentially concerning. Um, it's hard to work out what we should be certain about morally. Um, and the fact that people disagree um, should just be I, I suppose just be a check on us that you know we might not be right um, you know if, if we have if we have a certain set of beliefs if we believe that certain things are right and other people disagree with us then that itself is um, just a perhaps a cue to us to sort of question whether we're right um, I think there's something that is potentially concerning is that in recent years um, there has theres sort of been a a a willingness to question certain things that seem like they should be unquestioning, you know, unquestionable. So, you know, the the the, the idea that uh, we are all, all people are equal in moral status, you know, there's sort of, um, you see this in the, you know, Matthew mentioned that the Brexit debate. I mean, you, you see this in the news with people sort of, um, it's sort of EU citizens living in the UK uh, saying that they, they don't feel like they're being treated as sort of, um, as... Humans of the same worth as uh, as UK citizens, um, and and then there's this sort of uh, you sort of see it with sort of people like uh, the, the the chairman of Nestle, who a few years ago said, well, you know, I don't think water should be a human right, or that it's not necessarily a human right, or at least that was what he was reported as saying. And that sort of thing, you know, we sort of have a, a shock response to that, which is like, wow, are you really questioning that? Um, it, it seems like you know, there, there's certain things that we, we we think we ought to be certain about morally, and it can be really unsettling if people start to question them. Um, so I think there's sort of two sides to this. That, that there are kind of, um, that the idea of more people being certain that they're right about moral issues is itself concerning because you know, the way that we learn and progress in our moral thinking is through discussion and debate. But then there are other sort of things where we, we sort of think, well, surely we should agree, we should all agree that sort of people are all of equal worth, of that, of that sort of thing. Um, and that it can, be, it can be really quite concerning when we encounter a sort of widespread willingness to question that. Thank you. And
1: finally, Hillary, uh, should we welcome a new moralism, to the Prize Society of Excellence?
4: So, well, more than 100 years ago, at the turn of the 19th century, a philosopher called G. Moore um, became well known for arguing that there were moral facts uh, which we could describe uh, or not uh, accurately. And uh, that claim seems to me to have become increasingly implausible. Uh, Shortly before uh, Moore argued this, just 10 years really before, uh, Fraser in the Golden Bough listed all of the different systems of thought that people had around the world and listed them one after the other. And there were of course as many different moral codes and frameworks as there were categories of people that he listed. And, of course, it then seemed rather implausible that any one of these groups of people uh, would have somehow stumbled on the truth about moral facts. Uh, And the history, it seems to me, or the intellectual history of the 20th century has just embedded that awareness of the particular perspectival character of our beliefs. So we now recognize we are culturally, historically uh, uh, dependent, as it were, and that and our language as a species, we see the world in a particular sort of way. All of these things mean that the way that we hold the world is uh, an accident of our particular circumstance. And therefore the idea that we might somehow have stumbled on the true morality, we found the good when there are countless other frames which have different goods and different circumstances seems to me utterly implausible. Now, I think it's not just implausible, it's dangerous. So if you look at people who think they're good, they're often capable of engaging in the worst and most heinous acts. We don't have to look back to the Christian uh, legacy of the Crusades and the Inquisition, where people who believed they were acting in the good tortured people who had slightly different views from them In contemporary life, uh, the people who blew up the Twin Towers and beheaded people in Syria believed they were doing good. So we should be very careful of people who think they're doing good. And it's not just that. Morality is also a vehicle of power. As all of the parents in the audience will know, When your child has, for the umpteenth time, demanded to do something, and you are fed up of trying to explain why it is that you want something to happen, there is a great temptation to say, you shouldn't do that, it's wrong. Or you should do it because it's right. And you're just trying to bring the conversation to an end. You're just trying to be the one in control. And that's what morality is about. It's trying to ensure that your view is the one that uh, persists. And therefore, again, I think we need to be very skeptical of people who wrap themselves in morality as a means of trying to get what they think to happen. But I'd just like to say one further thing, which is I think there is a sort of transcendental, esoteric sense to morality, which I would be in support of, which is that I think that at some level we do aspire to the idea of acting outside of human limitation and try to act in a way which is not dependent on a particular circumstances in some general way to be other than where we are now. And that I think is laudable, but we can't turn it into a specific belief. As soon as we turn it into a specific belief, then uh, it risks all of the things that I've said. So yes, I think we should be skeptical of conventional morality, and we should be just as skeptical of any return to morality if we think that is taking place.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so this brings us onto our first theme where we're interrogating the roots of morality. So what is the basis of our moral codes? Is morality simply widely agreed
3: social norms,
1: or does it have a more fundamental foundation? Rebecca.
3: Uh, I was kind of hoping for a question like that. So, so just listening to what, um, uh, what what Hillary was saying, um, I think we can we can draw an important distinction. There's, um, so, uh, we can think we can agree that morality is not something out there to discover, like a rock or something like.
2: Like, we're going to come something Do like we agree that,
3: Matthew? Are we all agreed?
2: Uh, I think there are multiple rocks. Ah.
3: Multiple
1: <laughs> rocks. Okay.
3: <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't suggesting we all do, but we can coherently, we could coherently hold that position while also holding that there are facts about morality. Um, I mean, even if you take something that's completely conventional, like um, the fact that in the UK we drive on the left rather than the right. I mean, given that, I think there's still a fact that you ought to drive on the left, Um you know, there's a kind of difference. If you sort of say, you know, what are you more inclined to the sort of um, the claim we should drive on the left in the UK or we should drive on the right? I think you know that's... Imagine
4: that's- a situation in which, in a sort of version of what's going on in Hong Kong, there was a social uh, uh, political movement which, uh, as a form of objection to state control, said uh, we should drive on the other side uh, to force uh, change. Would it then be? a good thing that one should actually say, no, you shouldn't do that, you should drive on the left. No. Morality is a it's function cool. of the way that we want to use it in those situations. As soon as you reach out to an absolute, I think you're in all sorts of trouble.
3: But we can have an argument about that. If somebody says, um, to force change, let's all, like, when we all leave here, let's all drive on the right, we can have a debate about that saying, no, we shouldn't do that. Yes we should. You know, and we can give reasons. So I mean we can argue yes. about it. We're not just going to say okay well your 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 perspective on this is as good as mine and it's you know there's we can't dig any deeper than our opinions about it. There's something that it's based on and we can appeal to principles such as well if we all continue to drive on the left then that makes for a sort of more harmonious society and prevents injury <laughs> and so on and that is in in everyone's interest.
4: Yes. I, I wouldn't remotely want to say we can't argue for what we want. I mean, we can argue as vociferous as we like in favour of the way that we think we should, uh, things should be carried out. Uh, All I was challenging is that the use of the moral words like good and bad are really just vehicles for saying, this is what I want to happen. But we don't need to have those words, good and bad, in order to argue for, this is what I think we want to happen. And they have the danger that the person who's using them somehow stops thinking and imagining that they've discovered what should really be the case, and it is good, you know, permanently.
3: So I completely agree that um, if if the words good and bad are just a a substitute for thinking uh, and a way to kind of make our own desires... Seem more important than they actually are, then that's a bad thing. I mean, wanting something um, uh, simply because you for no other reason than you want it is doesn't really kind of make much of a case, right? But if you can say I want this because and you can make a case in terms of other things like it's it actually benefits everyone if this thing happens, so you know, I want people not to murder each other, it's not like merely. I quite fancy a cup of tea right now, you know. I sort of, but no, no other reason than takes. We can sort of also appeal to other considerations. Um, I mean, uh, so, so if if I understand you correctly, you're, you're suggesting that um, sort of talk and right and wrong can be a way of presenting certain claims as if they as if they have the gravity of uh, a sort of more substantial claim. You know, sort of this is justifiable by certain. But it seems that as soon as
1: as these kind of moral norms are brought in, there's a whole weight of power and structure that comes behind them, and that's That's what you're objecting
4: to. I'm objecting to, actually, morality is really a vehicle for power, and we should be... Of course we should argue for things. Of course we should say, yes, I think this will be of the benefit for more people if we do this. But the moment we move in... With these moral terms, uh, it, it seems to me we're just trying to close down the conversation and say,
2: "I'm right."
1: Matthew, maybe we could bring you in. Is, is morality yeah. just a vehicle for power?
2: Uh, well, I'd like to. Come, your, your original question was about the foundations of morality, yeah. and 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 um, uh, <coughs> I, 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 I'm going to return to the framework I offered you a few minutes ago. Um, so, psychology uh, tells us. With some authority, I think, that we have three fundamental sets of needs as human beings, and uh, psychologists describe those as mastery, connectedness, and autonomy. And, And so these are the three motivations that underlie those systems I talked about, authority, values and belonging, and our own kind of notion of personal fulfillment and authenticity and growth. And so I think that morality reflects these core motivations, and I think that the moral fault lines are therefore twofold. On the one hand, each of these three moral sources contains within it a kind of inherent internal tension. So the internal tension of the morality of authority is that authority tells you when you are told to obey rules, you're being told to obey rules because they're in the interests of everybody, but you always have a sneaking suspicion, and sometimes you're right, that they're actually in the interests of the people who are in authority, right? So whenever we talk about rules, we will always have to deal with the fact that we do need rules, but the rule setters have their own agendas as well as ours. The second moral motivation source, values, belonging, leads us to some of the most benign things that we do. They lead us to compassion. They lead us to other-centeredness they also underlie some of the worst things we do. Tribalism, racism is underpinned by this sense of group and the the fact that what matters most is the group. So the contradiction at the heart of that code is, it does the best for us, it can do the worst for us. So how do we express that values and belonging morality without falling into tribalism, which is something we're failing to do very badly at the moment. And then that third code, that code about individual Um, morality, has also got a a huge contradiction, which is on the one hand, it asserts freedom. So we should all be able to do whatever we want to do, and the consequences of that should fall to us, but it also asserts the dignity of every individual. The problem is a society organized about freedom for everybody will not end up being a society that recognizes the dignity of every individual because it will be a society which is, amongst other things, deeply unequal. So on the one hand, you've got different moral dilemmas as these moralities play into our core motivations and social systems. And secondly, which I won't go into now, these moral codes conflict with each other continuously. So the the siren call of authority and of values and of individual growth and authenticity continuously clash. So we should have a position which is neither the ones you are being offered, neither that there is a kind of single moral code uh, or a kind of basically relativistic position. Instead, we need to recognize the existence of real but different moral codes, and our challenge is to understand the inherent tensions within them and between them.
1: How do we negotiate between those different codes,
2: then? Well, so we have to do it practically in the world, you know? uh, We don't do it... I mean, I'm not antagonistic to philosophy, but we have to do it practically in the world in the way that we deal with, you know, climate change or Brexit or whatever. We have to understand that these issues are infused with moral debates, but very often that morality... A lack of clarity about that morality leads to a kind of visceral tribalism, which just boils down to I'm good and you're bad. And, and what the most worrying thing about morality in society right now is that polarisation. If you look at the statistics in America, it is horrifying that now the majority of Republicans and the majority of Democrats don't just think the other side are politically different to them. They think the other side are morally uh, inferior and of lesser value than their side. I mean, it is very hard for societies to sustain, and we are exactly the same, about Brexit can I i I'm just but I, I'm not a true clear do you want to hear more from the world's leading thinkers if the answer to that question is yes subscribe to TV for unlimited access to thousands of debates talks articles academy courses and live events are you bored of the surface level news politics sports and entertainment coverage on your news feed go deeper Get the philosophy behind the news and get the latest big ideas from the world's leading thinkers on subjects at the core of the human condition, life, the universe, and everything in between. It's free for the first month and there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level.
4: You you pose these two alternatives as morality, as sort of known, and a relativistic space and you want to hold different one from those, but I'm not clear, are, are you saying that there is a morality which is independent of the particular character of a particular group, or not?
2: No, so I'm saying all moral choices in the end are contextual, they're concrete, they so, are real. So you're
4: us. relativistic too? No, no, no,
2: no. But, but in making those choices, there are fixed points, and those fixed points relate to the source of that kind of moral conviction but also you can trace the particular dilemmas at the heart of it. So, you know, one of the things we would need to do around a kind of public process of education around morality is for people to recognize that when you feel the moral upsurge that comes with belonging and and virtue, well, there's a moral danger with that because the more you think that, the more likely you are to think that other people are somehow inferior, inadequate, and second-rate. Similarly, when you obey moral codes of authority, which is broadly a good thing to do because otherwise we'd be driving in the middle of the road, you need to be aware that those laying down those rules have also got their own interests. So Catholic priests might be doing other things rather so, than telling you what to do. So in each case, we need to be aware of the nature of those moral dilemmas. Because so, so, so I agree with that entirely. Good.
4: But where is, where, where, where is, where is your... That, that just sounds as if you. we recognise the moral frameworks that people are taking yeah. up and we don't take any of them as being definitive yeah. and we try and understand the structure of the vocabulary yes. and what's going on. All I'm so, well, all certainly, I, I, but yeah, why not just dump the whole of the vocabulary of morality, which feels to me, which you want to no, hold no, onto no. and feels what, to me
2: to be dangerous. What I'm arguing is that it is neither one nor none, but it is many and that is the very basis of a pluralistic society is the recognition of the plural nature of moral codes, so they're not relative. So I'm not relatives. These are real things, and, and in a sense, there's only a certain kind of. There's, there's well, a what real does that baseline. mean?
1: What does it mean to say they're real things? Well, so if we debate, do they have any reality outside the communities yeah. who hold well, them? Every
2: single person in this room uh, sometimes looks at rules and thinks, well, is that a rule that I should be obey because it's grounded in something, or is it just a rule which is being imposed on me? Every person in this room. Uh, has to deal with the issues of the call that belongs to their tribe. And, well, you know, I'm part of this group, so I should do that, but also the temptations of othering people who aren't in their tribe. Every person in this room knows the challenge of kind of personal authenticity, which is a kind of, you know, individualistic thing. You know, how how do I live my life in accordance, with my? so we'll recognize, we hear hear these voices in our head all the time, I just think we don't give them names and we don't sufficiently understand their character. And if we did, we would probably have a, a better debate and we would fall into fewer traps.
1: good good moment to move on to the the second theme, which is about moral certainty. We've touched on this a little bit already. Um, Is it on the rise? Is it something we should be welcoming? I think, go back to you, Matthew.
2: Yeah, so I think what I would say is that at the moment, too much work on morality is being done by the middle of my three things, which is the kind of tribalism thing. And what you've got at this is, is a kind of peculiarity in society, which is that we are both relativistic, more relativistic than we were, but also more judgmental than we were. And this is a kind of rather unfortunate mix, it seems to me. I think we need to be less relativistic, but also less judgmental. That is to say, we need to recognize, as I've argued, that there are different and reasonable and coherent accounts of the world, and we ought to listen more carefully and more respectfully to people who have a different account of the world than we do but that we should be less, uh, and in so doing, we should be less judgmental. To put it another way, when it comes to morality, we need to try to agree what we disagree about. If you don't have a mediation process, the first part of a mediation process is not to get people to argue what they argue about, but it is to at least recognize what is the basis of their disagreement. If we could at least recognize the basis of our disagreement in a whole area, set of domains, then we would be, I think, uh, in a better place.
3: Rebecca. Yeah. So I I, I agree. So um, there is a sense in which we are many of us are sort of unreflective about morality, um, and that's sometimes unavoidable. Um, there are just some there are just some sort of moral judgments. It's hard to give reasons for. Like um, if you just take something really basic, like um, it's. It's wrong to murder people indiscriminately, and you sort of try to dig down. Well, why? You know, sort of keep asking why, um, and then you sort of get to something like, well, uh, sort of it's valuable to be able to continue your life. It's valuable not to be in pain, um, and you know, if you sort of try and sort of dig down to say, well, why is why why is it a good thing not to be in pain? Um, you know, th- there's a sense in which you you end up saying it, it just is. It's, it's just a sort of foundational belief. It's hard to explain any further. So I think that there are there are there are sort of uh, foundational beliefs like that that are kind of hard to justify in terms of other things and that they they sort of ground a lot of our morality and probably ground can up morality. Can we get morality. any further
1: with those? I mean can philosophy help us or do they remain groundless I think they? well
3: um, I mean different philosophers is great I think but I think one important thing that we can do is is identify what those are because I think they sort of they they are common to uh, many groups of people who disagree quite substantially about other aspects of morality. So I think we can recognize that there are these kind of fundamental moral beliefs, but I think a danger is that we, when we treat other sorts of moral beliefs as if they're the same. When people say, um, or when people experience, as I sort of read a kind of disturbing headline, the, the term racial anxiety, which I'm guessing is the new term for racism, but it kind of it's concerning, and then it kind of suggests it, you can't help it. It's you're, you're suffering. It's not your fault. Um, and and it's, it, 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 I mean, part of the reason why that's disturbing is it suggests it's just something that you feel, like a morally significant judgment. Um, that you're going to sort of treat different groups of people differently is just—it just comes down to a feeling, to an anxiety, and we're not going to dig down any further um, to get to any justification from it. It's just a sort of something that's fundamental, and it's not. I mean, that's exactly the sort of thing that we ought to be questioning. But well, how is do we
1: distinguish well, between that, that, these, sorry, those that, two that, things? That
2: dichotomy between. Something being a feeling and something being a choice, which I guess is your alternative. So what you're saying is, look, racial anxiety or racism isn't a isn't a feeling; it's a choice. My view is that's a false dichotomy. It may be a feeling, but then you choose what to do with that feeling. I don't think you can, you can choose to say that feeling. Is not a feeling I'm going to articulate. It's not yeah, a word. Yeah, no, I feeling. think I you know? think
3: that's yeah. We can we we can and and should interrogate we other, these feelings. Sometimes when
2: we other people, we other people for their feelings, and that isn't a good idea because you know yeah. that just makes people feel shit.
3: Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you. I, what what I say is that there are certain there are certain kind of fun, fundamental beliefs that if we try to kind of analyze them in terms of other things, we just can't. You know, it just is, we just all would rather live and, rather than die and that is kind of a, uh, something that kind of sits at the basis of our morality and we kind of all agree with that and it's hard to kind of say, well we think that this is justified, the desire to continue living is justified in terms of X, Y and Z because it just can't be justified in terms of any other things. Whereas the sort of feeling like I, I feel this, I just have this intuition that I only want to mix with people from my own group and not with people from other groups. Uh, th- there seems to be a move towards, or maybe it's just become more noticeable in political debate, of, of people kind of wanting to be uh, respected for holding that belief. It's, sort of, it's just, this is just the way I feel and it's kind of rude to question me any further. When we should be questioning the, you, we, we should be questioning our moral judgments in as far as we can all the time. Sort of unreflective moral judgments are bad. And they can sometimes be useful, right? As when you kind of, you see, you see someone about to get knocked down and you just pull them out of the road um, and you don't have time to kind of think, well, is this is the right thing to do, like how ought I to be reacting? We just sort of have an intuitive um, belief that this, this is a good thing to do We'll kind of save this person's life. I mean, so, so moral intuitions, unreflective moral intuitions can be useful. They help us act. Really quickly, but when when we just kind of are in a culture where we just we just respect other people's moral beliefs, we don't question them. Um, that's pretty dangerous, and I think this is really ingrained in especially British culture, where it's just kind of seen as rude to to talk about politics uh, to sort of go for a family dinner and talk about politics. And then some people, like, oh, that's like really quite invasive. And so, is it our job to believe?
1: interrogate other people's moral beliefs?
3: Well, I think it's, it, it's our job as all well to interrogate our own. Yeah. You know, to sort of question and question why we think the way we do. And, and as I said at the beginning, the fact that we encounter people who hold different views should be a, like a, a cue for us to do that. You know, it doesn't mean they're right and we're wrong, but the fact that they think one thing and we think another means that, you know, sort of maybe maybe, the, maybe there's more to think about yeah. here. Like, what can yeah. we learn um, that we didn't learn before? And I think we can... Yeah, I think, I think it would be a positive thing if we if there were a sort of cultural move towards questioning each other's moral beliefs in a kind of respectful way, I mean, it doesn't have to be kind of aggressive and um, interrogatory and accusatory, which is, I, I think it's like sometimes the, the idea, you know, if you sort of want to talk about politics with um, friends, people get a bit uncomfortable in some context, um, but it can be done respectfully. I mean, so people in other, we, we, yeah. there's not this kind of uh, evasive, Approach in in sort of non-British, certain sure. non-British cultures. Yeah. You know, sort of a, a, a lot of other cultures. People are much more happy to talk about what they believe and why we believe it. Hillary. So.
2: You
4: know, I, I remain a bit. I mean, I, I agree in a sense with with the things that being some of the things that are being said on the panel. Of course, we need to try and understand other people's uh, position, and so forth. But I'd like I'd like to encourage to think through the consequences of that. I think but both of the other panelists are in their own way still using the words of morality as if this is something real. Uh, it's not, it's a vehicle for power. If you, if you want something to happen and you feel very strongly about it, you just try and get it to happen by saying, this is good. And you're trying to close the conversation. I think moral, moral vocabulary is usually about closing conversations. I'm in favour of our being open about conversations and hearing other people's outlooks, arguing with them when we disagree with the outlook and not trying to close them down by saying, I'm right, you're wrong. And when people do do that and do retreat to saying, this is good, or they wrap themselves in cloaks of uh, moral goodness, I think that's just the time. We want to be out there and saying, no, get that moral cloak off you, because that is the most pernicious thing you could do.
3: I don't think, so I don't think you have to um, use... Um, I don't think at all that you, you have to use morality as a way of shutting down conversation, or that it's only a way to exert power. I mean, one of the most... One of the most effective ways we have to resist and question power is by questioning the motives of the people in power and saying, you know, this is what the government doing. What the government is doing is wrong. Um, that's you know, you, you see that sort of quite commonly at the moment. The, the idea that sort of, sort of the legislation that's being passed at the moment or the, the what the government is doing is actually sort of overriding people's rights, treating people as less than they deserve to be treated, and so on. And so these are sort of instances of sort of uh, appeals to morality and moral argument being used to resist sort of inappropriate. But the problem powers. is, that everybody Matthew?
4: thinks. Everybody thinks. That they're using their morality to resist things that shouldn't be happening. But if all of us think,
1: you're that, saying we're all doing the that same thing. Can, can it's all very well. I, I'm
2: saying, no doubt, in this room, lots of people.
1: Henry, uh, just, just.
2: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, look, uh, we're talking about politics and morality. So, first of all, the easiest one is that if you espouse a set of political beliefs, it would be quite a good idea if you lived as though you lived as though you believed, though you believed those things. Uh, uh, as the title of a wonderful book once had it, If You're an Egalitarian, How Come You're So Rich? Um, You know, and climate change is going to force some of those issues onto our agendas. So when it comes to your, your individual political morality, you might want to have a think about whether or not you know, uh, you are aligning your life, you know, you're fighting for climate change, you're delighted your children went on the demo and next week you're flying to America for the fifth time this year kind of thing, okay? So that's the first part. The one you will find most credib- incredible though is this, also when you listen to people in authority, try to understand that generally speaking, people in authority spend most of the time just trying to find a way of getting on, just trying to find a way of, pe- of, of things working. I used to work, at the core of government and the reality was that most of the time we couldn't really tell the truth about how intractable and difficult issues were so we had to kind of make it easy for you and actually if we want to reconstitute authority and this is why i'm in favor of things like deliberative democracy citizens have we have to find a way to get citizens to own more the real dilemmas that leaders have in government in various other places otherwise we will just carry on despising leadership more and more and more, and that, isn't, that doesn't end well, I'm afraid.
1: I'm sorry to stop you there. But we are quite short of time, so I want to finally bring us on to the last theme, which is, will morality help us rid society of its ills, or is it part of the problem? I think we sort of have a, a sense of how our speakers uh, feel about this already. Hilary, very quickly. Well, yes,
4: uh, we, uh, the morality is the problem, and the idea of thinking that we might have... Uh, discovered the right way or the good way and to blacken the views of other people as being bad. Yes, that's absolutely part of the problem. And the sooner we get rid of our attachment to morality and argue about what we think are the real consequences of a particular situation and
3: don't retreat into using morality as a defence, the better.
1: Thank you, Rebecca. Is morality part of the problem? I think
3: you can't even make sense of the idea that there is a problem without a appeal to morality. I mean, sort of conceiving it as a problem is—it's because it's a problem morally. Um, I think. So so I'm not convinced that you do have a problem with morality. I think you have a problem with a misuse of appeals to morality, and I sort of would completely agree with that. (laughs) Um, I don't think morality itself is a problem. You know, If you're right about it if, and we approach it, we debate and we reflect, I think that's kind of our way out. Okay. Uh, Matthew. So
2: you know my answer. My answer is not morality, but moralities. And, you know, just take the most classic, corny old kind of moral question, which we discuss occasionally on Moral Maze, and by the way, sorry. Um, uh, and that is between kind of Kantian deontological morality versus utilitarian morality. You can take a position which is, well, neither of them in the end so stands up to close scrutiny, so they're both rubbish, or you can choose one of them against the other, or you can do what I would do, which is to say both of them are very powerful. And what we need to do when we look at an issue is to, is to consider them both together, as well as other moral codes. So, so moralities and an understanding of them will help us, not morality.
1: Thank you, that was really easy. So morality, no, morality, yes, moralities. Have I got it? <laughs> Perfect,
0: um, thank you so much for coming. Thank you to our speakers. Thanks for listening to this episode of Philosophy for Our Times. The podcast was brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. It was hosted by me, Anna Carey, and our guests this week, were Matthew Taylor, Rebecca Roach, and Hilary Lawson. For more on today's topic, have a listen to episode 168 on the necessity of morality, or episode 161, which goes in search of evil's strange allure in the fascination with evil please do make sure you subscribe to never miss an episode of philosophy for our times do check out our website at www.iatv for our recommendations playlists and updates and head over to itunes to give us a rating or review as this really helps other people find the podcast thanks so much and do tune in next week for more debates and talks from the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas
1: Auto Trader.